Well, I want to say good morning to each of you this morning. It is great to have you here at Stonesdale Community Church once again. And what a delight to welcome you each week. Um, we are going to be wrapping up letters from prison in just a moment. Um, I looked at my computer um, system and I'm on my 35th sermon in this series. So it's a four-letter series, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And we are actually uh, in the book of Colossians. And we'll be wrapping that up out of a chapter. We've been bouncing around within the books. We'll be wrapping it up um, today. And I'll be in uh, Colossians chapter 2. I do believe I see Norm Leach here today. Welcome. It's great to have you back, friend, uh, from down south. And Marsha as well. We're so glad that you made it today and that uh, I know you've had some uh, challenges in front of you. But you're here today. Praise God. And we just, yes, we just rejoice with you. God is good to bring you back today. Um, so what I would like to do is um, just read the text with you. And so I'll have that up on the screen. And, and it's uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Um, and so we'll read through this. And then I would just like to summarize um, what I've just read in your hearing um, and to simplify as much as, as much as possible that way. And then as, as time affords, we'll, we'll look at some of the, we'll slow down and, and uh, go a little more closely through the, the passage and look at the verses. And then uh, essentially what I want to say to you today is that you are free to enjoy life. Isn't that great news? You're free to enjoy life. You wouldn't believe a number of people have to be just reminded of, the, of that. But you have been freed. You have been freed to enjoy your relationship with your family. You've been freed uh, to enjoy your job. You've been freed um, to enjoy um, just the everyday things of life, the food that you get to eat, um, the family you get to live with, um, all the things that you love, your hobbies, your interests. Um, you are free to enjoy your life. And uh, you've been freed up because of what Christ has done. And um, so my, my big point this morning, my sermon focus, is that just to emphasize that you have been freed up. And I want to show you um, how free people live. Or at least I want to I talk to you about three concepts that set you up to really enjoy your life and to be all that God wants you to be that way. And so um, uh, there are three characteristics that are true of, of, uh, three, of free people, of, of people that are truly free. And um, we'll look at those uh, in a moment. So let's just read through the passage. Um, it's Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Um, there were some people there that we're emphasizing that you've got to do this particular thing plus have Christ in your life in order to be okay with God. What well, Paul was writing against that, he said, no, that's not the way it is. Um, if you have Christ, you have all that you need. Your whole self, he says, ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Um, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Wow, that is a lot 
of heavy, heavy concepts, isn't it? And um, a lot of things to understand and explain. And essentially, if I could summarize and succinctly state it this morning, what we've just read, I would essentially say that before you and I came to Christ, we had three major problems that kept us from God. It was our personal sin and disobedience. It was God's law because we see in the Old Testament and the Bible, we see that, that we break and we violate God's law, right? Sometimes we do that willingly, sometimes in ignorance, but we, we violate it. And so that kind of hinders our spiritual growth and progress. And then, of course, the Bible acknowledges that there's a satanic a, a person of Satan, and there's a demonic realm, and there's an evil realm, and the satanic scheme. So we've got personal sin that we deal with. We've got God's word that we violate. We've got Satan's schemes. But by the power, Paul's going to argue in this passage, by the power of the cross, you have been freed of the condemnation and the guilt that's induced by all of these things. Paul argues that you, your sinful nature no longer has power over your life like it once did. That when Christ died on the cross, he circumcised you as it were. I'll explain it a little more in a minute. But when you put your faith in Christ, you are united with him in his death. And you're buried as it were with him. You're raised with him. And you are spiritually dead, but now you are spiritually alive. And you're made alive with Christ. So you've been freed from sin by receiving new life in Christ. It's a positional thing. He has, he has died for you. He speaks that righteousness over you. And when you say yes to him, it's as if there's a new nature implanted inside. And now you have a new power and a new energy and a new ability to live life like you've never lived it before. And when sin says to jump, you don't have to jump anymore. There's a new realm. There's a new, uh, there's a new power in town. Okay, so Paul argues you have been freed from the sin nature of the past. He argues, secondly, that as a, as a Christ follower, the law or the Old Testament no longer has power over you because Christ has fulfilled the law. And in a sense, he has canceled the debt that the law presents against us. All those commandments cry out, Joey, you broke that one. Joey, you broke that one. Commandment one, I broke it. Commandment two, we broke it. Commandment three, and we can just go down the list. The law's got us. It pegs us. We can't, we can't wiggle out of it. And Paul says, because of what Christ is, has done, that he has fulfilled the law. He has canceled the debt that was created because of this life of disobedience. It was nailed to the cross, and you have been freed from the law by the forgiveness of your sins through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says you, have, you are free from the sinful nature. For, secondly, you are freed from obligations to the law. It has been fulfilled in Christ. And third and finally here, Satan no longer has power over you. Verse 15 on the screen. Okay? And that is that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them, Paul says. He triumphs over them by the cross. You have been freed from Satan. You have been freed from satanic, the, the satanic realm and the, the satanic power by Christ's defeat. 
all of the spiritual forces of evil have been subjugated and defeated. And so this morning, he argues, and I proclaim that you have been freed from sin and the sin nature. You have been freed from the Old Testament condemnation, breaking of the law. You have been freed and, and, and liberated from the realm of satanic dimension. There's the, that's the power of the cross in your life. You have been freed to enjoy your life now. Enjoy it. Enjoy your summertime. Enjoy your, your food that you get to eat, the friends you get to go with. Go to Chick-fil-A and get you a peach shake. I had one. Friday. It's good. Praise God. It's really good. And uh, I even shared with Donette. You'd be proud of me. But it wasn't with a, a kind heart. Okay. I had to say, come on, Joey. You got to give that up. All right, so I, I gave it up. She enjoyed it, but we both enjoyed it. What I'm saying is we're free to enjoy life now. Amen? We're free. You're free. That's the gospel. That's what Paul argues so forcefully in all of these Pauline letters. It's the underlying worldview and, and the foundation, under theological underpinning of everything he says, that you have been freed. And, and so... Paul's point is that if Christ has done all of this, what in the world are the Colossian false teachers doing telling the people of Colossae, the baby Christians of Colossae, that, they, that somehow they have to work, they have their spiritual secrets out there that they've got to tap into. There's these unique perspectives of life that they've got to tap into in order to have authority over all of these things. Paul says, no, 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 that's not the way it works. Christ is in Christ. You already have the authority that you need. The authority over the law. The authority over the sinful nature that causes us to, to make decisions in rebellion against God. And the, 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 the power of the satanic realm. Paul says, you already have all of it in Christ. There's no secret spiritual book you can go buy. And you've got it all right here in the Bible. It's free. Proclaim it from the housetops. No secret orders. No secret societies. There's no secret insights. Special tools to help you get a leverage on spiritual life and growth. You've got it right here in the Bible and in Christ. And so your freedom is assured because of Christ's victory. And this morning... I proclaim that you are not a victim in this world of demonic forces. You are not a victim in this world of the alignment of the stars and planets. You are not a victim in this world of fate and the outrageous claims of fortune because Christ rules the world for the sake of his people. Because Christ is Lord, you are free. Go to Chick-fil-A and get you a peach shake. Fullness. Forgiveness, freedom. You are free to enjoy your life now. Stop carrying the guilt. Set it aside. It's not going to serve you well. You weren't made to live with it. Set it aside. I'll talk to you about that in just a moment. But I'm saying this morning, this is incredible news. And the question I've got this morning is, are you a free person? People who are free have three things that work in their life. We go to slide number five. And those of you who like to outline things, basically everything I just read can be 
um, presented and organized in this fashion, you are alive, you are forgiven, you are victorious. And those who are truly alive are alive spiritually. Those who are truly free are alive spiritually. Those who are truly free are forgiven. They set aside the guilt of the past. Those who are truly free are victorious. That is, that they, they have the, the sense of God's strength and power, and they're not subservient to some satanic realm or domain that controls their life. And that is a life of freedom. And so when we look at all of these concepts, if we go to slide number four for me, slide number four, when we look at the, the domination of our flesh has been broken, that's Colossians 2.11. The former manner of life has ended, that's 2.12. We have been raised from spiritual death, that's 2.12b. We have been given new life. Our transgressions have been forgiven. Our debt to God has been paid. Our spiritual enemy has been defeated. You and I have been liberated. Are we walking in that freedom this morning? So when we're alive in him, we're no longer dead in trespasses and sins. When we're forgiven in him, we no longer are under the condemnation of the law and breaking of the Bible, the commandments of the Bible. Jesus fulfilled. And of course, we don't, we like to live in the extremes, don't we? We got to moderate. We got to, you know, we, we tap into Christ's power and his strength in order to um, enjoy this freedom we have in Christ. We certainly don't presume on that, but we, we enjoy the freedom we have in Christ because of his fulfillment of what we can never do. And we are victorious in him. We're no longer defeated by Satan. So this morning, if you don't have Christ, according to the Bible, if you don't have Christ, you have three crucial needs from a biblical standpoint in your life this morning. If you don't have Christ, you are spiritually dead. You are alienated from God. You need new life. Don't wait another day. You need Jesus in your life. According to this passage, if you, if you want to be truly free and free to enjoy life to the fullest, you have to move from a spiritually dead place to a spiritual life, a life-giving place. And we do that in Jesus. So three crucial needs. You're spiritually dead, alienated from God, so you need Christ. The second thing, if you don't have Christ, you are under God's judgment because of sin so that we need forgiveness. What I mean by that is like, well, God's provided forgiveness. And so when we choose to live a life outside of that provision, then we remain, his judgment remains and it remains on us. And so in the gospel, that judgment's removed in and through Christ. And finally, you are living under Satan's power if you don't have Christ. You're living in a measure under his power. You're living in his domain of darkness. He's telling you what to do. He's, provi he's provoking you to do these things. According to this passage and according to the gospel, if you don't have Christ, these are the three things that are captivating you in your life. Spiritually dead, the sin nature tells you to jump, you, you say how high. And uh, we're under God's judgment and then also we're under the satanic uh, power and the domain of darkness. So this morning it is imperative if you want to move from a life of captivity to a life of freedom to be truly free. Okay, truly free. It's important this morning that we are alive in Christ, that we are forgiven in Christ, and that we are um, alive and forgiven, and that we have been set free to be victorious in Christ. If we back up and go to slide uh, number, uh, the, the Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, whatever number, that, there we go. 
we go back to this slide and we read it just to, let's just slow ourselves down just a little bit this morning. And I want you to be thinking with me though, because uh, it's imperative that we move um, toward Christ and be alive in him. And I'm so glad I'm alive in Christ. I am so glad because if I was not alive in Christ, I don't know what all I'd be pursuing. I have kind of an idea based on the temptations in my life, based on the failures in my life, successes in my life. I have an idea, but I am so glad not to be spiritually dead. I am so glad that when the sin nature says to jump, Joey doesn't have to jump anymore. You know, it's kind of like the KGB, right, in the old Russia, right? You see the, you see the guys in the, 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 the Russian hats and things, and when you saw them on the street, they said jump, you said how high, and you jumped because they were in control, right? And that's the way it was, Paul says, with our sin, our sin nature. Our sin nature is this inward rebellion of disobedience against God. I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. And when that says to jump, we jump. All right, we go get hammered. We go hammered. We go get hammered. You'll steal that. We steal that. Uh, take advantage of this person. We take advantage of that person. It's a sin nature. It's in us to disobey, to do things our way, to be self-centered, to go our own way, to do our own thing. And I'm so glad I don't have the burden of that. Because I know what I do when I do things unto myself, right? And things that I do for, for me and self-centered, focused Joey, right? It's not good. And the gospel frees us from having to obey when the, when the, imp, the impetus and the, and the promptings of sin say to jump. It's like, we don't have to jump anymore. We say, no, I don't have to jump to that anymore. I'm alive in Christ. There's a new power. In fact, Paul says that you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Okay? It's not performed by human hands. So your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So Paul moves this from a, from a ceremony that would happen for every little Hebrew boy that was eight years of eight or eight days old. They were circumcised. And when they were born, and it was a sign that they belonged to the nation of Israel and all the rights and privileges there too. And so, and so there were some who were saying, yeah, you got to have Christ, but you need this little sign, this outward sign that you belong to Christ. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not the way to think about this. He says, God has done something greater than that kind of thing. Okay, and some were saying that this mark on your body was necessary in addition to Jesus. But Paul says there's a greater circumcision. Christ's entire body was offered more than just a small piece of flesh in circumcision. His entire body was offered on the cross. And when we live a surrender life, that's the new mark of belonging on every individual heart in life. Whether you're male or female is that a surrendered life indicates who you belong to. Paul says you were circumcised with a circumcision not done with hands. So it's a no hands operation. Christ is pictured as a surgeon who is treating our sinful disease. And he excises from our hearts this, this, uh, our own waywardness, our self-centered focus. And when he talks about the flesh being put off, he talks about how the flesh, you know, we can organize and, and gear it toward rebellion against God. And that's the flesh. And Paul says, you Colossian believers have a supernatural circumcision that's internal 
an internal transformation worked by God and is not some mere external operation. I like what Tim Keller says about a circumcised heart. It's when we, what we ought to do and what we actually want to do match up for the first time maybe in our lives. When we ought to do what we ought to do and what we want to do are the same things. Paul says, he acknowledges, before conversion, sin dominates. After conversion, the body progressively adapts to new purposes and functions. He says in verse 12, having been, he changes the metaphor to baptism now. So having been buried with him in baptism, your, your heart has been circumcised as it were, okay? The sin nature has been dealt with as it were. You've been given new motives, new reasons for doing what you do and living how you live. And he, and he likens it into a baptism. The old life is buried in baptism, which you, and you were buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So it's a picture. And so this self, self-ruled by the flesh no longer because of what Christ has done to free us from the sin nature. You know, it's interesting. So sometimes I'll do a, um, a long run in the country. And um, so the night before, I will go and I will do water drops. Uh, I'll hide them behind jugs of water. I will put them behind telephone poles and hide them in the weeds so the farmers or thirsty farmers don't get out there and jack my uh, my water right and uh, so I hide them in the weeds and things and so when I do my long run in the hot weather I've got some hydration right to kind of get me over the top and I can water my dogs uh, if I have a dog with me all right and usually I just have to pour the water all over the dog right it's so hot but um, and so I was doing that a couple of weeks ago and uh, there was like a stray dog that was in the area where I was dropping the water. And, uh, and you could tell I me mean, his, his toenails are like this long. And uh, he's, his ears are matted. Um, his, he's kind of beat up. He's super skinny. Like I could count the ribs on this guy. I can even count like the backbone, the, the, the vertebrae on the back. I mean, this guy, this guy was emaciated. But I also noticed, and you would have too, he was not neutered. All right? Pretty obvious, okay, very obvious. And so he was just running in the energy of that, right? That was driving. You could just tell it was driving everything that he was about. And my dog was in the truck at the time, and so he was up on the side of my truck trying to get in the truck. I mean, he just, this guy is just in overdrive. And so I was like, well, okay, buddy, I don't know if I can handle this. So I got in the truck, and I drove home. I looked in my rearview mirror. Here he comes. He's just running just like this, just as hard as he could go, big long toenails, okay? You can hear him clicking on the pavement. And uh, so I get home, and the next morning I go and I do the run, and I'll be daggone if I don't see him in the same general area. It's like, oh, no, he's back, all right? Hyperdrive, he's back. Run by him once, come by, run by him again. He starts running with me. He ran with me four or five miles home. He followed me home. So the story is, I now have not one, but two dogs, okay? Yes, I do. Two dogs, right? And uh, so we're trying to fatten this guy up. He's skittish. He's afraid. If you drop an ice cube on the kitchen floor, he runs. He cowers to the floor. You can tell he's been yelled at. He's probably been hit. 
He, he doesn't really care for men. And uh, so I, we're learning this. And so we're trying to kind of just nurse him and love him back to a place of life. Right? And we even had him neutered. Praise God. We had him neutered. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't know if it slowed him down that much, but it, I, sure hope, I sure hope it will in time. But I have noticed this, that he still, he still puts that nose up in there, and he still looks for all those female dogs he can find, right? It's like, buddy, there's a new power operating in your life, okay? You don't have, like, if, you, if he gets off the leash, like I, I've had to try to catch him like twice since that we've had him. And I'm like running, I'm on my bike all over the neighborhood trying to corral this guy because he still thinks he's under the old power. He still thinks he's gonna live like he always has lived where he's on the run and he's just gonna fulfill his drives. He's gonna live life according to the impulses of his flesh. And that's how he's gonna live life, Right? And he thinks that's living. And what he really doesn't realize is that the very people who love him and care for him and, and who can nurse him back to health will put a leash on him and do the things that need to be done to help, help him reacclimate to a new way of life and that he can, he can learn to be loved and, and learn the constraints of a leash and learn the constraints of home and not run away all the time. And, and not be hypersexual all the time. I don't know why pastors always get hypersexual dogs, but we do. And we got to explain that to everybody. Joe Hustle gives me a hard time about that. And so, uh, it's like, pastor, you need to, need to talk to your dogs because they're, you know, like, okay, Joe, I'll talk to my dog. But uh, what I'm saying is there's a new power, a new uh, operation in, the, in his life, and he doesn't have to live like he's lived in this past. And we got to understand that, that what Christ has done on the cross, there's a new power in town. There's a new ability in town that we now have a central motive and reason for doing what we do. And that is to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says the old life's been buried. The new life has come. You, 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 yeah, you may have been astray, but you've been taken in. You've been loved. You've been cared for. You've been doctored. You've been fed. You've been um, uh, cherished. Uh, you've been treasured and valued and you have worth. This is a new way of life. It's a new way to look at life. And so you are alive in Christ when you have this a new operating principle embedded in your life and, and, and it comes to us because of what Christ has done. So you are free from your sin nature, okay? So we still have this proclivity in a measure. There's still this sense of our own way and our selfishness, but it's, it's becoming less and less and Christ is becoming more and more. You are alive in Christ and so you are free because of that. Paul says that you are also forgiven. Look at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Watch this. He forgave us all our sins. How many? All of them. Having canceled, this is great. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. 
which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And when you do a word study on the phrase, cancel the charge, it, w- it refers to an IOU or a note that acknowledges an obligation to pay a debt and it's signed by the debtor. So in Roman law, when you were going to be tried, there had to be proof. And that proof would be brought against you about the crime that you had done. And when the, the proof was adequate, they would make a charge of legal indebtedness. That's what he's referring to. And it was, it was a list of offenses that you had done. And so if you were a thief, they would put, he stole such and such from this person. Um, or he stole, he robbed this person. Or if you murdered someone, this person killed this person. And so their certificate of decree would be posted on the cell door. And so that anybody who walked by you would know why they were in jail because of the certificate of decrees. And in a sense, it was your IOU. It was what you owe to society. And you had to sign it. And thereby saying, these charges are true. And after you paid for your crime, when the last day of your 20-year sentence or whatever year sentence you were fulfilling, when you fulfilled that, the authority in the area would sign the decree and they would take a stamp and they would stamp that, um, that certificate or that, that uh, debt of legal obligation. They would stamp it with a word to tell us that. It's a Greek word. What's it mean? Paid in full. Paid in full. It's translated when Jesus says it on a cross. It is finished. And so you took that certificate home. And if you were ever stopped by a policeman or a neighbor or a Roman soldier or a community member, you could pull out your certificate because your certificate will be stamped by the authority to tell us that you had paid your debt to society. The government was satisfied. You are now a free man, a free woman. Nobody else can make a claim against you. And so, as I said, Jesus is hanging on the cross with the sins of the world on his shoulders. And he comes to his last breath and he screams out in a loud voice just before his dead head drops in death. He says, it is finished to tell us thy everything that you owe to God is paid in full and verse 14 says it he canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and they were hostile to us why because Satan could always bring it up the statement of charges that we've signed he has wiped away and so the picture is that it's nailed to the cross it's almost as if it's out of reach nobody can get to it It's nailed to his cross. Nobody can use it as leverage to condemn you or to heap loads of guilt onto your life. Your debt has been paid. Christ has taken care of our legal indebtedness. The debt is canceled. And Paul says that the IOU of your guilt is nailed 
to the cross. And so you are alive in Christ, alive to a new impulse, a new power that's in your life over the sin nature. You are forgiven in Christ. He has paid the debt. And so your obligation to the law and the brokenness, the broken commandments of the law in your life has been covered and fulfilled in Christ. And finally, Paul says, you can be victorious because Jesus broke Satan's power over you by disarming the rulers, verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so what Paul is arguing is that you are free. You are free to enjoy your life, to enjoy your family, to enjoy God's good creation. You're free from a a sin nature that drives you away from God. You are free from an obligation to keep the law in its perfection. You are free from Satan's domain. And now he's going to argue he wants you to live in that new freedom. Paul is saying, for goodness sake, Colossians, don't piddle around with all the Gnostics are saying, all these secret insights they're trying to give you on spiritual truth. All you need, you have in Christ. And, and, the, and all the powers have been decimated at the cross. And there's no point in paying tribute to principalities or dabbling in powers that have been vanquished by Jesus. Christ has defeated the evil forces. He has disarmed the demons. He has carried them off, as it were, in triumphant procession through the heavens of his, at his resurrection and exaltation. A cosmic drama played out as God in Christ gained victory over the powers of evil through what Jesus did on the cross. You know, um, when you study verse 15 and the context of it, you see that Paul is referencing a triumphal procession of a Roman general who would go to Rome after winning a military battle on foreign soil. He would return to Rome after months or perhaps even years away. And if the Senate liked him, they would grant him what they called a triumph, a Roman triumph. It was one of the highest rewards that the Roman Senate could decree for a military leader. And on a set day, The gates of Rome were thrown open and the houses were decorated with decorations and the people would climb to the tops of the the buildings and the houses and they would stand in great crowds along the streets. It was like a huge parade and and the gates were open, the banners were flying and the first to come in the city gates would be um, the the infantry and and, uh, uh, those who had fought the the first legion would would, uh, cycle into the city. And those who fought with the military general's troops. And so they would come into the city with banners flying and the trumpets sounding. And, and people would see the warriors marching in from the field of battle. And they would love that. And so they, they were like the first wave of this triumph entry that was happening in the city of Rome. And then after they would get so many in. And finally you would have the Roman general in a chariot. And he would be, the, the chariot would be drawn by white horses. And, and the conqueror, the, the, the military hero would, be, would come in. He's, he's decked out in his garb and he's crowned with the laurel crown. And, and, and they would even chain to his chariot 
some of the kings and mighty men of the regions that they had conquered. And immediately behind the, the Roman general was the wagon loads of booty from the battle. There was ivory and the ebony. There was the beast of different countries, exotic animals and in this parade. And, and they would come and they would have the soldiers come in behind all of them, more of the soldiers. And then there would be uh, a long wave of people, of, of captive soldiers, people that were taken captive in these military exploits. Prisoners of, of eminent rank. In fact, uh, Rupert Matthews, in his book, The Age of the Gladiators, said that this, this uh, triumphant experience, this Roman triumph, was a, something that changed a military general's career forever. He was a hero. People would date People would date things by the, the time of the last Roman triumph. I mean, it was that big a deal. He was in a specially decorated chariot. Uh, like I said, spoils of war, gold, valuable slaves, exotic animals, all of these things. And Rome would go crazy. The priests and priestesses would come out at the end edge of the temple areas, or their, their pagan temple areas. They would put garlands around his neck. And finally, he would get to a place where he would... Um, he would make a sacrifice to the gods that had made it all possible, what they thought was the gods who made it all possible. And then in a moment of, of climax in that triumph, they would bring the defeated king, the defeated warrior king who was defeated, and they would jerk and strip off of him his crown and his pageantry and his and his robes and the things that he wore to make him royalty they would strip it off in front of this conquering roman king and general and leader they would strip it off and the crowd would go crazy because they would strip them off and by it say he's been dethroned and he's been conquered and rome can live another day because we have we have been out there on the on the edge of civilization and we have conquered all threats to rome we can party, we can enjoy our life, we can, we can enjoy our, uh, the, the life that we've built here and, and our families and our future and our jobs and our way of life. We're safe for another season. And they would go crazy. And then at the appointed time, the general would call forth the execution team. And they would make that subjugated, those subjugated rulers bow to their knees. And they would terminate their life and conquer. And Rome was ecstatic with the excitement from that. Well, Jesus in the cross, Paul says, has conquered the hostile, unseen, demonic powers and he leads them in triumph. Yeah, they may still be in existence. And yeah, they may have some measure of power and authority. But in Christ, Paul says, they are subject to his authority. And I imagine some of those defeated war criminals and, and captive criminals from war, I imagine they can look over at the kids in Rome waiting for that a procession to, to proceed by, I imagine they could, you know, make faces at them and stick their tongue out and maybe make a quick jump at those kids and scare them just for a moment. I imagine they could do that. 
But nearby would be someone reminding them, no, 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 you don't have to be afraid. This, their power has been taken. They can't hurt you anymore. They've been defeated. And I think Paul has that in mind that sometimes death will do one of those. And we flinch. And it's kind of like this stray dog we've got. You drop an ice cube, he flinches, he's afraid. There's, there's a power at work in this world in my life and it destroys me. It's got me on the run, right? And I think that's what happens is that, that uh, there is this, uh, there's a measure of darkness that operates in the world and it stomps its foot, it makes its faces and, and at first we're tempted to be afraid. Addiction looks at us, teases us. And at first we are tempted to run or to cave into it in fear and cower to it. But Paul says, that power has been defeated. And even though it didn't look like that in the first century, when we look at the cross, it doesn't look like that Jesus triumph. It looks like the desolation of Jesus. It looks like the annihilation of Jesus. It looks like anything but a victory. But appearances are not all what they seem sometimes. And, and there, is, there is a superficial way of looking at the cross of Jesus. And you look at it and you think it's an utter defeat. And you think it was anything but a victory. But Paul says, no, that cross was Jesus' lethal weapon against all of his and our enemies. The cross was a victory chariot. It, it not only has Jesus taken care of our sin and our guilt, and Jesus has not only done that, but he has cleaned the clock of every power that would seek to destroy and to control and to enslave humankind. I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. I don't have to be condemned by the law anymore. I don't have to be conformed to this world anymore. I don't have to be motivated by the flesh anymore. I don't have to be bullied by the devil anymore. I don't have to be intimidated by death anymore. You are free. Go eat your peach shake from Chick-fil-A. You're free. The question this morning that I have for you. Go back to slide number five. Some of you are so excited about that peach shake. I know you are. It's worth it. Listen. Alive in him. Question. Are you alive spiritually to Christ? If you aren't, you'll never be truly free. The bottle's going to tell you what to do. Porn's going to tell you what to do. Your sin nature is going to tell you what to do. You're going to be a slave to all of that. And that's going to drive you right into the ground. That's not freedom. Listen. Have you dethroned the flesh, as Paul calls it? Have you dethroned it? See, our addictions keep us fettered to the things that bring death. But when we die to those addictions, it lets us take in life so much more. People who are alive in Christ, they're humble, joyful people. They laugh easy. They smile often. They're equally comfortable on the sidelines or taking the center stage. Spiritually alive people, beautiful people. Are you alive? 
forgiven in him? Have you personally accepted his forgiveness? Are you free from guilt? Paul says God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And so free people have had this experience of being extracted or extricated from the self-condemnation that so often plagues us. And we have all of these thought barriers, I think, to receiving this forgiveness, to knowing this forgiveness. So many thought barriers uh, that we have to overcome. Here's one of them. And I kind of speak of these pastorally. What I have done, pastor, is too bad. I know that God is forgiving, but I cannot be forgiven for this. You just don't know what I've done. And it implies that Christ's death was not enough to pay for all sin. It's, it's as though we are saying maybe his atonement covers the sins of the rest of the world, but Jesus' death cannot cover this. And we make our sin something that's irredeemable. Or here's another one. I must punish myself for my sins in order to be forgiven. Somehow, if I can add some personal pain to what I've done, then that somehow God will take notice of that. And finally, if I torture myself enough, that maybe I'll have forgiveness. Here's another one, another barrier, a thought barrier we have to overcome. I know that God has forgiven me, but that doesn't matter. I cannot forgive myself. We're gonna hang on to it regardless of what God says. Or here's one, because I am still suffering the effects from my sin, God must not have forgiven me yet. And while it's true that there are definitely consequences for the actions of our life, that many of those are just results of the decisions that we've made, that it's not by design that God is gonna just push the effects of our sin in our faces to defeat us. Or here's, here's a final one. God has allowed too much suffering into my life. I cannot forgive God for what he has done. And as if God needs forgiven, he's perfect, doesn't need forgiven for anything. But what we have to realize is that the Lord has a right to allow difficult things into our lives. And in his wisdom, he chooses to wait before blotting out all the pain on the earth. And sometimes that's hard and we experience suffering, but ultimately we know that God's justice will prevail. And finally this morning, alive in him, forgiven in him, we we can be victorious in him. And do you enjoy a life of spiritual victory? And would you like to make the victory of Jesus your very own? Someone says it this way, your victory rests in this. When we reach the place where we say, yes, I was hurt. I was wounded. And maybe I did my fair share of wounding. But that was not the final chapter in my life. God lifted me up again in Christ. He's healed me. He's given me strength. I'm moving forward. He's given me meaning because I know for sure he loves me. And he showed me this by forgiving me and giving me his son. Jesus knows how much I've suffered since he suffered too. But Christ rose again. And in him, I have too. And I'm God's child and no one can take that away.
And when you talk to yourself this way, you stop being the victim. And now you're victorious. And you are free to enjoy your life. Alive, forgiven, and victorious. You know, Horatio Spafford, and I'll close with this, was an American lawyer, and he lost everything in the great Chicago fire of 1871. Two years later, he sent his wife Anna and their four daughters on a trip across the Atlantic Ocean to England for a trip, and their ship hit another ship. And on the way, uh, they had a collision, and the ship was sinking, and Anna got the four daughters together and prayed with them and then the ship went under and they all got scattered in the waves and all four little girls drowned Anna survived but she was found unconscious evidently she had clung to something floating in the water and there was a ship that rescued her and she gets to England where she was headed to begin with and she cabled back that's how they communicated in this time 1871 that vicinity she cabled back to Horatio Spafford her husband two words saved alone and when Horatio Spafford was on the ship over to England to bring his wife home he began to write a hymn it is well with my soul he talks about peace like a river in fact I want three people to Google the lyrics on your phone. Three people, Google the lyrics to It Is Well With My Soul. Three people, I'm going to have you come up and, and you're going to, each one of you are going to read a verse of that, of that song. But he wrote that song. And here's what I want you to think about. Why would a man dealing with immense grief, seeking the peace of God, the peace like a river, why does he spend the entire song writing about Jesus? My sin, he says. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. What does that have to do with his four little girls who are dead? It has everything to do with it. And you know why? Because look, when things go wrong, one of the ways that you lose your peace is you say, maybe I'm being punished. But no, you look at the cross and all the punishment fell on him. And another thing you say is, well, maybe God doesn't care. No, look what he did for us. Look what he bore for us. The Bible gives you a God who says, I've lost a child too, but not involuntarily, voluntarily for your sake. Are you free? Would you like to be free? You can be. Anybody got, got three volunteers to come up and read that? The, Harlan, you come on up. Anybody else? Come on up. Dennis, thank you. Anybody else? Come on up. I'm going to give you a microphone. I want you to read the first, second, third verse as it, as it appears.
Des, we'll just start with you. I want you guys to hear, just listen to these words, and we'll let these form our conclusion today. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, through trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ, yes he has, has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. All my sin, oh the bless of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. There's some more verses? Okay. I didn't know that. Read another one. You don't have any more? Um, and the Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Amen. Let's give our readers a hand. Good job. Thank you. And so, are you alive? Are you forgiven? What about victorious? You, are you living his victory? I am so glad I'm alive spiritually. I am so glad I've been forgiven. I am so glad my IOU has been fulfilled and accomplished in Christ. Praise God for victory. Praise God for walking with a lighter step, shaking off those addictions, shaking off those promptings of the flesh, shaking off those uh, habits of the past, thought patterns of the past. Praise God. Freedom is great. It's awesome. And we need it in him. Doesn't mean we don't have challenges in life. We're going to have those. But if you need this freedom, I need this freedom. And I want you to invite him in today. If you haven't done that already, will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day. And thank you for the um, well-articulated thought of Apostle Paul, who argues so capably. And quite honestly, Lord, the sin nature has gotten the better of us at times. We have um, our fallen sinful nature uh, wants what it wants and we have yielded to it one too many times and it has gotten us into trouble in life and I and I speak to a congregation that knows about this empirically I mean we've lived it out and father we don't feel good about it we're not proud of it but it's happened in our life and and this morning we're so glad to know that we have been circumcised as it were. We've been baptized as it were. We've been buried with the old life and the new life has come. And, and you have done, uh, the, the Savior has done some incredible heart surgery. And, and now it's not just a sinful nature, but it's a spirit nature 
um, it's, it's a, it's a, um, a Christ-centered nature where we're looking to lift up Jesus and, and his power. We're drawing on that. And when sin says to jump, we don't jump because we've got a new power, a new, a new authority in our life. Praise God for being alive. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you because if, if, if our list of offenses were listed this morning, if Joey Nelson's list of offenses were listed this morning, I'd say they'd be so many of them that they would cover the whole cross. Top and bottom, left to right. There'd be so many that you'd have to squint our eyes to see them. But you have, through the gospel and through Christ, you have fulfilled the IOUs that I owe. And you have done it through your work on the cross. Praise God. And I can, I'm forgiven. My debt's been paid. And you've set me free. And I can run with a lighter step and take in stray dogs and say hello to people and love God and eat shakes and and read the bible and and uh smile at my friends and and be kind to people and I, and I can live life praise god because i'm forgiven i don't carry the weight of condemnation anymore and i and i thank you for that oh i thank you for that how we need it in this day father thank you and then finally thank you for the victory and it's not my victory this morning it's christ's victory and you said I could have that. And you said that's me and that I've partnered with him and I'm, I am a co-Christ. I, I am with Christ in all of this. I, he is in me and I am in him. And Father, I don't like defeat. I don't like spiritual defeat. I, I don't like when the flesh gets the best of me. I, I don't like myself then. But I know you love me and you stay after me. And you draw me to yourself. And I just ask and pray that you would give spiritual victory to everyone here this morning. For we know that the powers of darkness have been stripped of their power. And the execution is yet to come. But there will come a time when Satan and all of his minions will be thrown into the lake of fire never to be heard from again. Right now, it's just the victory parade. Right now, he's just making faces to scare the children. Right now, he's just stomping his foot to see if we'll, if we'll cower in the corner in fear. Right now, that's his work. And Father, we rise up in the authority of Jesus' name and we come against these foot stomping flinches of the enemy. And we say in the authority of Jesus, we are free. We're free. And I proclaim this freedom over this congregation here this morning. And we do so on the authority of your word and for your glory. In the strong name of the Father, Son, and Spirit we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? That is a wrap on Colossians. Praise God. When we come back, uh, probably there'll be some uh, guest sermons and things. And then when we come back, the next series will be um, The Chosen. The Chosen. We're going to do a series, eight, eight sermon series on The Chosen. If you want to go brush up on those, we'll give you more instructions on that in the days ahead. Have a great 
day.